Hey, Rick, why don't you counsel another way? That was the question that was put to me. A counselee asked why I won't counsel another way. The reason she asked the question is because she discerned a death feel to my counseling, and she was struggling. She didn't disagree with my counseling approach. She didn't disagree with my methodology. She understood it. She got it, but she... She did feel compelled to share her internal angst with me because what I was calling her to do just seemed so hard. But this is the call that is on all of us, as Jesus says, to take up our cross and to follow him. Therefore, there is a death feel to the Christian life. I totally get it because I am under the same call, as Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 21, that We are called to walk in the steps of our Savior who suffered for us, and we are to suffer in a similar way. No doubt the Christian life is a difficult life, as we learn in Philippians 1.29, that God has given us two gifts, the gift of salvation and the gift of suffering, but it's that second gift that it it so it so complicates our soul and creates internal angst, especially when we are in a situation that is not changing according to our expectations or our timetable. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Your Daily Drive. This is the podcast where I put my articles in audio format so you can listen on the go. The title of this podcast is Rick. Why want you counsel another way? I have other articles embedded here, by the way, and you're welcome to read this one that I'm sharing with you right now. And you can read these other three that are linked here. Of course, as always, if you want to chat with us, you are welcome to do that. Just go to our website, rickthomas.net, and fill out your username and password. It's free to you. Just Get one. You'll need one, by the way. Every now and then, someone will write in and say, hey, your forums aren't working. And, of course, they're not working because you did not fill out a username and password. Facebook wouldn't work either if you didn't do that. They wouldn't let you on board. We do that because we want to maintain a high level, a reasonable amount of security so that we can care for our community. And so if you get your username and password, that would be fantastic. And then you can ask us any question that you want. Let me share a text of Scripture with you to get things rolling along here. Again, the title of the podcast and the accompanying article on the website, Rick, Why Want You Counsel Another Way. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verses 21 and 22, Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him, quote, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. End quote. The text continues to say, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You know this passage of Scripture when Jesus is talking to the rich young man, he had a lot of stuff, and he didn't want to. He didn't want to get rid of this stuff. In fact, the title of my podcast would be appropriate for him. Hey, Jesus, why won't you counsel another way? Well, this is the way that we have to walk as believers. Now, my friend, 
who was asking me that question in a counseling session where it was, she was in a tough marriage is what the context was. It was not that she wanted me to change my counseling style, but she needed to audibly acknowledge what she's going to have to do to find real freedom to, to die to herself. It's the same complicated situation concept-wise that the rich young ruler was in. Now, I have heard this before, this idea, though no one has put it in such a succinct question as this lady did. Why don't you counsel another way? But I've heard it often. Often, and sometimes this is something that you will hear in counseling, a person will say, you've not told me anything that I did not already know. Sometimes I think People come to me hoping that there is a, another answer or an easier way. Some of you list, listen to Dave Ramsey. He's a financial advisor who's really popular, particularly here in the States. And I've listened to him from time to time, and people will call in who are, are head over heels in debt, and they're looking for another answer. Many of them are looking for another answer, but you know, here's the answer. you got to spend less money than you are making, and you're going to have to make some drastic cuts if you're going to get out of this debt that you have created. But sometimes they're, they're hoping against hope that there is a different way, another way. They come to me, and I tell them what they already know, and sometimes in a last-ditch effort of avoidance, they, they ask for another way. They want to know if there's no, another path to freedom, a different way than death. Their query is proffered half-heartedly because they know how it's going to go with them and the Lord. There is no other way. Jesus is quite clear. My friend was ironically saying that she agreed with what was needed, but she was struggling to walk through death's door to find the most successful life a person can experience. It's all over the four Gospels, <laughs> virtually every time it seems like every time Jesus was talking. Here's Luke 9, verses 23-24. He said to all, quote, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. I would have loved to have given her seven habits for highly effective people so she could apply those habits to her life and live happily ever after. But the truth is, they would not work for her in her marriage. She could read that book and the companion book and the, the book that was written after that. But the truth is, she would go home again and her marriage would be in the same place. There's another door. There's another way. And, of course, Jesus' way is, is always harder. Uh, but, again, we have to deal with this reality. Recently, a parent came to me asking how, how to change the behavior of his son. He had put him on restriction. He took away his cell phone. He scared off all his friends. Still, yet his son was not changing into something that the parent could accept. This loving parent was taking a legalistic approach toward changing his kid. I will do the behavioral thing. I will give you a 
rigid set of rules and I will get the behavior that I want. Now, perhaps he would get the behavior that he wanted, but he would not get the transformation of the heart. And it could really be doubly problematic in the future by continuing down this path of legalism as a way of bringing change into the child, which is nothing more than behavioral modification. I could not go away, go along with his counseling approach to his child. I could not counsel his way, and I needed to share with him a harder way, a more biblical way. Now, the kid needed to change some of his behaviors. That is that's not in question. He needed to change. But he required transformation at the level of his heart. That's really the main thing. And no matter how hard the parent forced new behaviors on the child, he was not going to make him righteous. Only God could do what the parent was trying to manipulate into his kid. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And we have to remember that. I tell my students this, and I've told many others as well. You take that sentence in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And remove the comma after watered and put a period there. I planted, Apollos watered, period. Stop there, go no farther. And if you do put a period there, then the next sentence would say, but God gave the growth. And that is the, the divide in that sentence. There's human's responsibility, planting and watering, and there's what God will do. He will give the growth, and we need to remember where our responsibility is and where our responsibility is not. We do not give growth. Not only was the child going to have to die to himself, but the parent was going to have to die too. Now, this reality is hard counseling. It goes back to the title of the podcast and what the lady asked me, Rick, can you counsel and, or why won't you counsel another way? What loving parent wants to watch his son or his daughter walk off a cliff plummeting into self-destruction? Every parent gets this problem that this dad was in. He wanted to save his child from future horror, relational dysfunction. He wanted to do what I want to do with my children, but I know I can't accomplish righteousness in my children. I can love them. I can warn them. I can take things from them, but I can't change them. The twist here is that the child has to want these things. You wanting it for them is not enough, and that's what happens so often in counseling, especially when it's what I call third-party counseling, when someone comes with the problem of another person. The person who comes to me wants it more than the person who has the problem, and that's the case in this situation. The dad was wanting something more than the child who needed it wanted it. These are hard truths to, truths to hear, but it's the only way that I can counsel. Even Jesus felt the helplessness of this counseling approach. In his humanity, he could not save the ones that he loved. Listen to Matthew 23, 
verse 37, as he's looking out over Jerusalem, he said, here's his lament, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. There is only one right way to counsel a person. Ask them to die. Each person will have to choose as to whether they want to die to themselves. This reality is why Jesus could not counsel the rich young man any other way. Listen to Mark 10, 21. Jesus, looking at him, loved him, said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Jesus knew what he had to do, and he dialed in on the true idolatry of this young man's heart. And so he told him what death looked like for him. Now, it doesn't look that way for everyone. Uh, That's not the way to eternal life, by selling everything that you have and following Jesus. But that was the unique historical moment, the interaction that Jesus had with this young man, because he knew what it would take for this man to die to himself. You dying to yourself or me dying to myself will be different than that. But Jesus offered death counseling. Why? Because he loved this man. I counsel this way because I love you. It is a matter of conscience for me. It's a matter of conscience for my Lord. It's a matter of conscience for you. If you counsel with an element of death counseling, I would be sinning against my conscience if I counseled any other way. My friend was hoping against hope that I would give her some tips to help her marriage. Now, I did give her some tips, but those tips came with a huge caveat, and you want to do this as well. It goes like this. If you don't change your heart as it pertains to your husband, these behavioral tips will not give you what you want. The call of Christ on our lives is deeper than behavioral modification. Now, while the Bible can give us some wonderful things to do proactively, functionally, practically, as far as how we live out our relationships, if we are not changed from the inside out, we haven't really truly changed at all. Listen to Matthew 7, 21, Jesus talking again. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven... From 1987 to 1990, I want to be brutally honest with you. My wife, my ex-wife, repeatedly committed adultery in our marriage. She left in 1988 and took her two children with her. They were six years old, four years old at the time. No doubt I needed practical help to learn how to cope with this catastrophic loss in my life. I was in my second year of Bible college, and the the Lord turned my world on its head. Before the beginning of the adultery in 1987, my oldest brother was brutally murdered. The police in our town did not press charges because they felt it was one less dangerous person off the streets and no one cared anyway. I mean, that's what they said. And then 10 years after that, after 1987, in 97, my second oldest brother was also brutally murdered. His death was at the hands of his wife. Within 10 years, I lost two brothers, one wife, and two children. 
These tragedies do not include being reared by a physically and verbally drunk father who hated me. Now, the reason that I counsel the way that I do is that I know there is no practical way to work through pain without giving up the most precious thing in your life. The thing that I'm talking about is your life. In Proverbs 16:3, it says, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. In 16:9, it says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Christians are some of the most disappointed and despairing people you will ever meet. I used to be one of these people. The reason I lived in a self-pitying, whiny, depressed, grumbly, and complaining condition is that I did not want to do what I knew I needed to do. I knew I had to give up the rights to my life. This tension meant that I was not going to get what I thought I should get no matter how hard I tried or how hard I cried. It took me over four years to work through this, the tragedies that were in my life. I wanted them back. I wanted things restored the way that they were, but I was not going to get it. There was no amount of praying that was was going to bring these losses back. It didn't come easy. It did not come without a fight. In Hebrews 4.11, the writer says, Let us therefore strive, let us work to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The fight, the striving, the work was between God and me. The battle was not between the man who murdered my brother or my sister-in-law who murdered my other brother or my wife who committed adultery and was rewarded our children to boot and me. The battle was not between them and me. Those were external matters where I needed practical help. Yes, I needed practical advice as to how to navigate all of those situations, but there was no practical help that was going to help me where I needed to change the most. I had to decide if I was going to engage God about these matters and not stop until transformation came to my soul. Was I going to be changed at the level of my heart? Was he going to run my life, or was I? Was I going to continue the tug-of-war with the Lord, or was I going to die to my dreams, my desires, and my disappointments? Was I going to continue the intellectually dishonest game that manifested by making my struggle about the people in my life, those people who did these things to me? My struggle was not primarily about them. It was about God. One of the most profound passages of scriptures that the Lord used during that time was in the middle of the book of Job, chapter 23, verses 14 and 15. Job came to this realization, and this is a profound, powerful, and soul-shaking text. He says that God will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence when I consider I am in dread of him. Job finally landed in the epicenter of what needed to happen in his life. It wasn't about his losses that you read about in chapter 1. Those were important. They were real, but they were secondary. It wasn't about his friends who were trying to give him counsel. God was moving him into the epicenter, and the epicenter was Job. 
being confronted by God so that God could transform his servant. My struggle was because God was not giving me what I wanted. At some level of my heart, I knew God was sovereign. He could turn things the way that I wanted if he would only acquiesce to my demands. We read in Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. I knew that if God could turn the heart of a king, he could turn my troubles too. Though I would not say it out loud. The truth about God's sovereignty was resident in my soul. God could change the outcomes of my life, but he was choosing not to do this. My friend, who asked if I would counsel another way, struggles with her husband. He is not all he should be, and she is correct. She married him with the expectation of how things should be, and those things did not turn out the way she planned, the way that she hoped. For the record, her husband is in the same boat. She is not all he wanted her to be, and he lives with low-grade anger toward her. And their story is my story, and their story is your story. None of us have received the life we expected. We made our plans, but things went in another direction. Though there is a lot of woulda, shoulda, coulda in all of our lives, that is not where we should focus primarily. Though we want God to change our circumstances, that is not where we should put our focus. In Luke 22... We read this passage. Jesus is talking, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The next sentence says, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. It all boils down to a simple but life-changing, quote, not my will, but your will be done, end quote, acquiescence. It does not matter what you want primarily. That is important, but it's a secondary issue. The central question you must genuinely answer is whether or not you're willing to lay down every desire you have and trust God. My friend who asked me for another counseling option feels torn between letting go of what she wants and claiming the death of God, the death God is offering to her. Can't you see how hard this is? Of course you can. God was calling me to let go of the dream of ever having a wife and a family and to trust him. God was calling me to let go of the bitterness regarding a childhood that would never be mine. I will never get that childhood. I remember one time a friend <laughs> a friend looked at me post all of my troubles and he was profiling me and he said I was not born with a silver spoon. He was saying that because I was going to college and had a nice job, etc. I said to him, oh, you had spoons. How interesting. No, I'm not going to get the childhood that a lot of people received as forever gone. But God was calling me to let go of the hope of living with my brothers into an old age. I was not going to get that either. My friends, the gospel is the most counterintuitive force that will ever confront you. God's ways are not our ways. His ways do not always make sense at first, especially when it's your turn to be sprawled out on Gethsemane's floor while being asked to let go of your dream. 
In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, you know this text well, but it's worth hearing again. Isaiah said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, quoting the Lord, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But here's the thing. I can tell you from personal experience, if you'll let go of whatever it is you want but can't have, God will give you something that will surpass anything you have ever imagined. We read uh, this as Paul was talking in Ephesians 3 where he said in a doxological way, Now to him who can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It is when you give up your dream that you will be ministered to by God. That's what I like about the last sentence in this section that I read when Jesus was in Gethsemane, verse 43 of Luke 22, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. God will minister to you as he carries you to that place of death, which will not only change your life, but it will position you to be used by him in unusual ways. If you would like to read my journal from that season of my life, when I went through the adultery and the separation and the divorce, I did write it out. I actually wrote it out 30 years later after the event. I just finished it. This is 2018. I wrote a book called Suffering Well, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. Job said in 325, the thing that I have feared has come upon me. When God brings the things that you fear upon you, it rattles you and shakes you down to the core of your being. I titled this book Suffering Well because suffering is not an option. Therefore, we want to learn how to suffer well. And what I did is I, I took my story and interspersed it in Job's story and wrote this 200-page, almost 200-page book that you can get. And you can read it. And it's autobiographical, and it gives you my thoughts that God, the things that God was teaching me during that uh, difficult season in my life. One of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to make sure that I was stewarding well what God was doing. I didn't know what it was for, didn't know what it was about at the time, but I wanted to learn the lessons with hope, thinking that God had something good in mind in my future. Well, I've seen that day. I'm living that day now. But it came through great pain, great disappointment, great agony. You can read it in my book, Suffering Well, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. I cannot counsel any other way, because I know the only way you're going to find what you're looking for is through the door of death. So the lady asked, hey, Rick, can you counsel another way? It would be similar to the rich young ruler looking to Jesus and the text says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, go sell everything that you have and take up your cross, follow me. That's the call that's on our lives. Now, I want to give a caveat at the end of this podcast because this is a complicated podcast, an article on the website. If you have questions about this, I want you to come to our website and ask them talk directly to me and my team. 
I know a lot of people that listen to our content are in abusive situations, like, say, an abusive marriage. What I'm not saying is that you need to stay in an abusive situation. Dying to yourself doesn't mean that you have to submit yourselves to sinful activities, sinful activities of others, also crimes of other people. If you're being molested, if you are a child who's being abused, if you are a spouse who's being abused or an employee who's being abused in any way, those are sins, and in many cases, they are crimes. And so I don't want you to take this idea of dying to self means I just need to uh, submit to this, and this is the life that I'm going to live. Now, I want you to hear me well. If you're in that situation, you need to get out from under it. Dying to yourself in that situation, let's say that you're in a marriage and you're being abused. Dying to yourself in that situation will be the, the dissolving of your marriage more than likely. It could very well mean divorce, but it, I am not saying that dying to yourself means that you continue on in that abuse. So listen to me well. And if you are in that situation, regardless of who you are and the context that you're in, child with a parent, employee with an employer, a spouse with an abusive spouse, whatever it may be, or a church member in an authoritarian, spiritual-abusing church, you need to get out from under it. That is not what I mean by dying to yourself. If you have questions about this, please come to our website, Let's Talk. Get your free username and your free password. Jump on our forum. Make sure you're logged in. You have to be logged in with your username and password, just like you do with Facebook and other social media platforms. And then ask us your questions. We're here for you, and it would be a joy. We'd find no greater joy than serving you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.